insert gay hard. I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how queens is it? I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen out of it? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. Hey, I'm Rob Schneider. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm Robbie Roselle, and my pronouns are also he, him. Welcome to Gay Card Revoked here on this snowy day. At least it's snowy in New York. Uh, should, oh. We got uh, a lot of inches, and gays <laughs> love one thing. It's, a lot of inches. It's inches. They say that inches really don't matter, but in the end, it really does. The inches do to, matter. <laughs> I have to tell you that my neighbor, uh, I have a neighbor who is the king of leaf blowers, and apparently he's also the czar of snow blowers. So it's all I've been hearing outside my office, uh, my my home office, home office window. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> um, it's been nonstop, and there are Every season, he's got something that blows, and I'm not here for it. The only gay man to say I don't want something that blows. Yeah, so good no for you, Robbie Rizzo. No, th- you know what? You're a game changer. <laughs> you are a game changer. I like to be a leader. I know you do. I know you. <laughs> hey, you know what you are? You are a leader and a pioneer, much like the movie that we're going to yeah. talk about today, a pioneer really in in all shapes and forms, I would say. Truly. And that is the 1995 film, based mm-hmm. on the 1993 play, mm-hmm. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, by the by gay icon, Paul Rudnick. Paul Rudnick. Right? Have we talked about him on the pod yet? I'm I think he, you know, he's come up a few times, and I will say, I don't, I don't want to gild the lily any, but we were trying to get him for this episode, and oh. he was, he was unavailable, and yeah. he said, but please have me on some other time, so... I think we need to we'll need to pay homage to the great <laughs> Paul Rudnick, who also gave us folks. Let's just review his, his the, the please the so gay pantheon. He's given we didn't us. talk about the fact that he was a script doctor on the First Wives Club. That he also wrote <laughs> Sister Act, but under a different name. Also, one of my personal favorites, Adam's Family Values. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, After script doctoring, the Adams Family. But yeah, so so Paul Rudnick is this 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 patron saint of of gay of gayness, mm-hmm. especially I think for people around our age, yeah. in which we were coming up in the '90s, and really the only gay representation we were getting, or the camp that we were really enjoying, seemed to be coming from Paul Rudnick's brilliant comic mind. Yeah, I just realized he's done four projects with Bette Midler, which makes him the leader of gays. Today, but we today we are talking about the wonderful play, really the film version of Jeffrey, which is yeah. pretty much the play on film. They don't really make a lot of changes to it, which is very very exciting. And later and on, and it's directed by it's directed by the the director of the play, Christopher Ashley, the great Christopher so, Ashley, yeah. who a Broadway audiences, if you're a big fan of Come From Away, he directed that. He did. And Memphis. They just announced the film today. And they did. They did announce the film today, which is all very exciting. So it's a very exciting day for all of us. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Jeffrey started um, in the late, uh, sorry, in the early 1990s. It was an off-Broadway play. People didn't really think it was going to be much of anything. Paul Rudnick had written one play prior to this that had been on Broadway called I Hate Hamlet. If you're a theater fan, I encourage you to Google it because you can read about the backstage shenanigans that went on during that show. Do you remember that when uh, Nicole Williamson slapped the guy with his sword and the actor was like i'm never coming back and just left the show in the middle of the production why not honestly i, mean, I saw it happen him? to liza minnelli 
Anything's possible. That's right. You did with Tony Roberts. You saw yep. Tony. <laughs> what are you calling Joni? I can't do it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, you know what? <laughs> We're here to talk about Jeffrey. Yeah, we are. So Je- Jeffrey is a play that Mr. Rudnick wrote um, mm-hmm. that was dealing with what someone, something we're going to right now, which is a plague. Um, yeah. uh, ca- can you find love during the plague times? The plague affecting New York at this time, of course, is the AIDS crisis. And we meet a man who is going to swear off sex. He is going to swear off dating because he doesn't want to put himself in a position of where he is going to be hurt, which is something I think a lot of gay men do struggle with. Yeah. This idea of I don't want to be hurt. Let me ask you, although I think the answer is probably going to be you were too young, so it might not apply to you, which is, did you ever once feel like you were in Jeffrey's position where you felt it was safer not to go out and be with anyone or or to find love because you were afraid of getting uh, HIV or AIDS, which at this time was a death sentence. At this time, there really was no uh, none of the wonderful medications that we have today currently. I mean, I very much remember because I was coming out in uh, in the early 90s. Okay. Um, so it was very prevalent, right? Um, and it was truly all my mom knew about homosexuality was uh, I will get AIDS and die. Yes. Yeah. Same. And so, same. It was. The, yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, did. But I, like uh, our guest uh, that we have later, Brian Batt, um, his character Darius is very much like, hate age choose life. Um, you know, and that was my philosophy on life. So you only get one. Do you, you, you might as well, we're all going to die sometime, right? right. We're all going to die sometime. Mm-hmm. So if we spend that time between today and the moment that happens, living in fear, we haven't really lived. You have not lived at all. Now, I do think there are probably some people who very much lived in fear uh, at that time and are still alive because of it. Um, Sure, but then, you know, what kind of... But have they lived? That's a great question. Not fully. Not fully. And that's, yeah. that's, that's a great question that I'm sure a lot of people will respond to. Let us know what your, your thoughts and your feelings were during this time, um, if you were around back then. Um, but, so but, the play... No, no. But so the play opens yes. in 93 and yes. it wins the Obie and Outer Critics Circle Award. Yes. And also it's, it's, it's good to mention that the great critic Frank Rich, um, who was a very powerful but very hard to please critic at this time, said Jeffrey was the funniest comedy of this season and maybe last season as well. So this is a play that I think a lot of people assumed was going to be only – for a specific demographic and it ended up reaching across the aisle to many, many different individuals, old, young, gay, straight, that embraced this particular story. Now, there were a lot of queer playwrights at that time who were taking on the epidemic in various ways. Uh, certainly comic playwrights uh, were trying to as well. Harvey Feinstein, uh, Harvey Firestein, Feinstein. Senator Diane Feinstein, who also really wrote towards Song Trilogy. Yep. No, no, but he had written a play called Safe Sex. Mm-hmm. Terrence McNally, it was like a running theme in a bunch of his plays at the time. But none of them really had the, the sort of, none of them looked at it as a comedy, a comedy thing successfully. No, I, the idea was that this is such a serious, depressing, sad, tragic subject you might be able to find a little bit of black humor in it, but you won't be able to find too much until Paul Rudnick comes along and really gives us 
a very stylized, almost farce-like a story of love in Manhattan in the early 1990s amongst gay men, where it is broad and it is cartoony and it is comic and you laugh so hard that eventually you find that you're genuinely attached to these characters. Mm-hmm. You want to celebrate, you find more to relate with in their joy and their celebration than you do in their grief. And that was really taking these sort of gay plays and gay movies at this time and turning it on its head. Because I think we've talked about this. So many of the gay movies that I think we saw back then always featured like a cello in a minor key to let you know that this was going to be very... time after time. Oh, yes. That this was very like the Tony Awards in memoriam section. That's what what every gay film, until I would say Jeffrey and Trick, which came out like maybe four years apart. A couple of years later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And Trick doesn't mention AIDS at all this mentions or this is very much about AIDS but it's not you know Margaret Cho and uh uh Olivia Newton-John like burying somebody yes yeah which is which is what we saw I think so many so So much much. growing up this movie which I think really is a time capsule Mm -hmm. and you have to look at it as a period piece celebrates the New York that I remember as a young kid wanting to live in the, the the idea of this wonderful gay community that goes out together in the summer that finds locations to go to at night. And then you'll see a lot of, there's like the answering machine and mm-hmm. there's the blockbuster. But there are some things that I think are still pretty relevant in the film that still connect with us today, which is this idea of finding our own, what is it, building our own family? So yes, yeah, so, to talk about mm-hmm. this film because it's it. a first time director, right? Yes, Chris first time screenwriter. Paul Rudnick adapting his play and the magnitude of huge stars that they get to be in this thing. This, so once again, folks, the original play, Mm-hmm. which starred the great John Michael Higgins, mm-hmm. um, who, if you don't know the name, once again, you can Google him. He became, after this movie, a huge part of the Christopher Guest um, uh, 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 mockumentaries. If you watch Best in Show, he and Michael McKean are the gay couple. Um, he's a, he was on Fran Drescher's uh, Happily Divorced <laughs> as her husband. And one of my favorite films of Mr. Higgins, if you've never seen it, is uh, The Late Shift. Which <gasps> yeah, is, it's streaming on HBO Max. Folks, if you've never seen this, it's not, re- it's not a gay movie at all, but nope. it's, a, it's a movie about uh, Letterman versus Leno uh, with Kathy Bates in a brilliant performance, by Holy the way. Holy shit, is she as, good in that film. As Jay Leno's agent, but John Michael Higgins plays David Letterman and does a sure brilliant does. job of it. So the, the original play, folks, off-Broadway, had five or six actors in it. Tom and they just, Hewitt, Tom Edward Hibbert. And Harriet Harris. Uh, the great Harriet Harris, who, if you get me drunk enough, I will do an impression of her Wait. in Thoroughly Modern Millie, because I can do an, that. Oh, well. It, it, I thought it was just going to be like something from Frasier. But. Oh, Frasier. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a little bit. Uh, her name was BB on Frasier, right? Yes. The agent, BB the agent. Yeah. Um, do, you know, do you know who replaced Brian Batt in the original cast? Uh, Jeffrey? Yeah. I do not know the answer this is to this. Stunt casting, you friends. Greg Luganis. The swimmer Greg Luganis? Yeah, Olympic medalist. Greg, Greg Luganis. Luganis. Um, inspiration for the Mario Lopez film, The Greg Luganis Story, where Mario Lopez. And the Lopez, less said about that, the better. 
But the but the original play featured mm-hmm. five or six marvelous actors doubling, tripling, quadrupling, yeah. which mm-hmm. is normal on stage, but you really can't do that on film. So like you're saying, uh, this film was loaded, loaded. Loaded with stars. First of all, let's talk about the title role if we can, and then we'll... Yeah. we'll great. So obviously John Michael Higgins does not go off to, to play this role. They're looking for somebody that I'm assuming has some name clout. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that will say, why wasn't it an openly gay actor playing this role? Because at this time, folks, you could count the number of openly gay actors that would fit the criteria for this role on one finger, mm-hmm. right? I, and, it, and frankly, they wouldn't have been able to raise the money to make it. And they wouldn't have been able to raise the money to make it. So you're going to have to put on your 1995 lens. And it's yeah. given to... An actor who I think is fantastic in this role, mm-hmm. who is so charming. You, uh, he was best known probably for his TV show Wings. He was in the middle of doing Wings when this film was being made. So he was at the height of his like stardom. And it's the great Steven Weber. Mm-hmm. It's the great Steven Weber who's so charming and yeah. so adorable. And you never once get the idea that he's making fun of the gay community. You never once get the idea that he's, you know, doing this to show that he's, you know, I'm an actor, I have range. He's taking a wonderful part and just running with it. So so thank you, Steven Weber, for giving us a positive influence in yeah. the 90s when we didn't have a lot of them. And don't forget, folks, a lot of people told, a lot of agents told their actors, don't go near this, don't touch this. Uh, this is career suicide. So thank people you, Mr. Weber, yeah. for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's starring in it as Jeffrey. And then opposite him is the pretender's Michael T. Weiss. As, as his future boyfriend, Steve. Steve. Who uh, is, first of all, wow. Well, we, first of all, Steve is hot. There's a lot of times I'll say in this movie that every time that like Steve makes a pass at Jeffrey and Jeffrey turns him down, I just want to shake Jeffrey and go, What are you doing? He's not only gorgeous, he's a beautiful human soul. He's so kind, he's so considerate. Why do you keep running away? Obviously, he's scared of commitment. And of course, when yeah. he agrees to him, Steve mentions he's HIV positive and he hopes it's not going to be a problem. And Jeffrey says, of course not. And of course it is going to be a problem. That's going to be the crux of the relationship. And then the other sort of central couple, because it's about four people, right? Probably the biggest star I would say in the film. Yes. Is Sir Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard from Star Trek Generations is playing Sterling. 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 Sterling, Yes. Wow. That's a very good uh, imitation. I didn't even know I was doing one, but thank you. And then opposite him was the one person, the sole holdover from the original cast, the wonderful Brian Batt as Darius, who is a uh, dancer in Cats, who is uh, dying from AIDS. Dying of AIDS and has decided, though, to live his life to the fullest Mm -hmm. while he can. while, While he can. As if that was not enough. Nope. I'm going to just start listing. Are you, you ready? Said, folks, here we go. Mr. Rizal, please name some other people that just happen to show up sometimes for only one line yeah. in the movie, Jeffrey. You bet. Olympia Dukakis dresses Grandma Yetta from The Nanny. Victor Garber. Robert Klein. Nathan Lane, who is beyond brilliant. Cameron Manheim, who's so funny. Kathy and Jimmy, who is my favorite person in this entire film. Kevin Nealon, who's uncredited. The great Kevin Nealon from SNL. Garney Weaver. Christine Baranski. Good work, Kalinda. <laughs> James, J- I'm sorry, Jay Smith Cameron. Theater stars like Deborah Monk, who's a two-time Tony winner. Marcus Lovett, Michelle Pollock, Mary Louise Burke. 
it is. And like I said, some of these people only show up for one line. Victor Garber shows up literally for one line in the movie. This cast um, is as stacked as that TV Alice in Wonderland that was made in the 80s. It, it really is. And yeah. now we need to ask ourselves, I, well, which of these celebrity cameos, Mr. Roselle, is your favorite? Oh, uh, it's it's Kathy and Jimmy just doing her like uh, Sigourney Weaver is uh, like a self-help guru named Deborah. And she calls this woman on stage um, and she's just feeding Kathy and Jimmy. These, she's like, your mother hates you. My mother hates. You. And she would just repeat in like a very low tone, which she also does in Hocus Pocus. Uh, I'm sorry. But, you know, uh, insane. And it's so, and as she leaves the stage after she's been healed or whatever, she truly says, she just goes, I can walk. And Jeffrey goes, you could always walk. Shut up. It's, it's so funny. And Sigourney Weaver's character is based on former Democratic uh, candidate for president, Marianne Williamson. Oh, wow. I did not realize that. Marianne Williamson. So who, so who knew? I would like to give a shout out if I can. Two people in this movie, they share a scene together. Yeah. And it is hysterical. Deborah and that is the great Peter Maloney and Deborah Monk mm-hmm. as Jeffrey's parents, whom he calls to say that he's not having sex anymore. And they run through all the different ways he can please himself. Not just that. First of all, she's frosting a cake. She's frosting a fucking cake. <laughs> While she's like, have you tried phone sex? And then they try to initiate phone sex with their son. What are you wearing? Ooh, that's hot. <laughs> When she says, do you like it when they shave their assholes? That yeah. might be the funniest. Or the dad when he's like, we like the new Jeff Stryker film. Power Tool 2. Power Tool 2. It is literally, okay, now let's talk about a celebrity if we can. Mm-hmm. There is a scene that I think is the essence of Jeffrey. And it, I think if someone were to say, you have to pick one example of Paul Rudnick's genius, what would it be? Jeffrey goes to see a priest. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey goes to get guidance from a priest about why is there so much horror in the world. And the priest he decides to meet is Nathan Lane. Who grabs his ass. Who grabs his ass and then tries to sleep with him uh, in the back room of a church. But what Nathan Lane describes to him as what is God, which is, according to him, it's really George Bernard Shaw on the My Fair Lady cast album. Mm-hmm. Um and why there is suffering in this world is at both comically absurd mm-hmm. and also makes you tear up <laughs> and every time he gets to that speech. Even though it's so funny, I find myself being so moved by it. And he's so brilliant, Nathan Lane, that you almost feel like he's ad-libbing. He is not. No. Paul Rudnick is a writer like Neil Simon, who you have to deliver exactly as written uh, with those rhythms. In fact, I would say that he's a latter-day Neil Simon and could go toe-to-toe with the Neil Simon of the odd couple. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's truly one of the funniest scenes in the entire film. And assuming that you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie, we don't want to ruin it for you. No, good over we to Amazon Prime. It. We even haven't talked about the great musical number that's provided to us by Chris, Christine Baranski. Baranski. In a Busby Berkeley cater waiter hoedown, seven brides for seven brothers orgy. Yeah. First of all, so she's playing that socialite that is hosting like a benefit, right? A, a benefit of the week. <laughs> yes, uh, she is. 
And my God, there's nobody better than Christine Baranski hosting anything. And she's got these ribbons on her uh, dress because this was at the height of everybody wearing the red ribbon for AIDS, which I, I feel like has sort of fallen out. Right. Yes, it, it has. It yeah. has fallen out. Yeah. Um, and so she's ex- she she's very much she's like this ribbon is because of this. This ribbon is for breast cancer. This ribbon is for something else. And then she goes, and the brooch was a gift from my first husband. <laughs> and that is such a brilliant line. I have to say, I feel like a lot of this cast works because they're mostly television actors who get sitcoms. Yes. Yes. <laughs> My favorite Nathan Lane moment in this is is when he starts to kiss Jeffrey, and Jeffrey's like, he, he goes, "I thought you were a priest." He goes, "Aren't you supposed to be straight and celibate?" And Nathan Lane goes, "Maybe you didn't hear me. I'm a Catholic priest. Historically, that falls somewhere between chorus boy and florist." You just go. Hmm. You actually, you had Nathan on your. I'm going to plug you for a second. Oh. You had Nathan on your other podcast, Behind the Curtain, this week. Yes, yeah, my other podcast, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Yeah, he was. Uh, we starting our sixth year on the air. My God, wow. and our first episode of the sixth year was with the great Nathan Lane, who was so funny and so charming, um, and and sings a song from the musical that gave him his equity card which was called Jers, J-R-E-Z, which was a centennial celebration of New Jersey. Uh, and well, he remembered God. all the words. He was great. Um, so, friends, after you listen to this, get over to Rob's other podcast. Thank you. My other favorite line in this, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, may, please. Is when, when Darius goes, who's Martha Stewart? And Sterling goes, she writes picture books about gracious living. Martha says that nothing else matters if you can do a nice dried floral arrangement. I and worship who's her. And who's Ann Miller? Leave this house. Get out of this house. Get out of this house. He's brilliant. Patrick Stewart is so funny. And their relationship, he and Brian Bat, feels very real and very lived in. It's such a warm relationship. It is such a beautiful relationship. And it shows that even though one of these people will not be around much longer. They are celebrating every single second that they have together. Well, you know, I unlike, feel, oh, sorry. No, what were you I was going to say? say, unlike, let's be honest, a lot of the plays and movies of that time mm-hmm. where you literally saw like a massive clock ticking away at the top of the screen, knowing that these two people were going to be torn asunder. This movie absolutely gets rid of all of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's a celebration of life. Well, and speaking of celebration of life, I feel like this is a good time to bring in our guest. Uh, yes, yes. Robbie, would you be so kind as to do the introduction? I am so excited, Rob, about our guest today. Uh, he, as am I. I'm, I have been a huge fan of this man for a very long time. I, I saw him in so much, uh, in so many shows in New York. I saw him in several versions of Forbidden Broadway. Yes. I saw him uh, as the cat in the hat in Susan oh. the musical. Purposely oh. went to see him. In as in Susical because I'm in love with him, and how can you not be? How can you not be? Look at him. Look at the hair. Look at the smile. Most people know him from his work on Mad Men, uh, but we know him because he was one of the stars of both the play and the film Jeffrey. Welcome, Brian Bat. Hi, thank you, Brian. So let's talk about how Jeffrey enters your life. Well, I remember getting the call from my agent the late Bill Timms, who was just a wonderful man, was my agent for many, many years, and who I really adored. And he said, Brian, this script came across my desk, and I just think this part is right for you. 
So I read it and I was like, and I didn't really get seen for a lot of plays. I was, I was doing musicals. That's me. I mean, I was, no, I was in my second Broadway musical at the time. I was in Cats. And I read the script and I thought, you know, when they said, you know, chorus boy and all this stuff, I'm like 6'1", 100, well, then I was much thinner, you know, like 180, 185 pounds, a little more now, but I'm a big boy. I mean, everyone, everyone thinks I played football and all that stuff. I tried. I was I was worse. I was the worst basketball player. Some kid, I was the only kid worse on the team. He shot at the wrong goal. I mean, and, and I tried soccer. It was just ridiculous until I realized, no, I need to go to dance, to dance class. Anyway, um, I, I, I thought, no, they're gonna. It's, it, I saw this young, blonde, cute, little diminutive, you know, chorus board. He said, just go in. So I went in. I read, and I remember Paul Rudnick said, "Because you're the only person that looked like their headshot when you walked in." You know, it was the, and it was also the first show that Andy Zerman of Johnson Lifton Zerman, which is the big and big casting office, they cast all the big Broadway musicals, especially the uh, British Invasion. You know, Les Mis, Starlight, Saigon, all that. Um, so he had had this horrible accident, and God rest his soul, he, which left him in a wheelchair. And it was it was his first thing. And he called me in, and I read, and I think they liked me. And then they called me back, and at the end of my um, audition, as I was leaving the WPA Theater, Paul looks at me and goes, are you really in Cats? And I went, yeah, now and forever. And he said at that moment, he started to rewrite the part because originally the part was a dancer in Grand Hotel. And there were all these jokes about dropping Sid Charisse and all this stuff. But when he said like, no, it's gotta be Cats and you know. And uh, so we did the um, play at the WPA Theater and Chris Ashley directed and Harriet Harris was in it. And it, it, I made lifelong friends. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, Paul, that Paul's so hysterical. There'd be all these jokes and lines that were cut. We would, our original script was, you know, white pages. Now this is before computers, before all that jazz. And they would print out the new pages on different color paper. So by the end of it, and I have it somewhere, it, the, the script looked like a rainbow. But I kept all the pages that were cut somewhere. I have all those jokes somewhere. Anyway, um, I remember we all went for a bite. It was after, you know, we're about to do our first preview, which was, I think, New Year's Eve, 2000, uh, no, I'm sorry, 1992, because we started, it was 1993 when the play opened, eventually. Mm -hmm. And we thought either the audience is going to love this and embrace it, or they're going to throw tomatoes or run screaming from the theater. And even... Uh, even though there were so many changes to come, because there were a lot of things that went by the wayside, uh, the audience loved it. And then the critics, and you know, it was, it was just, it was just beloved. And you know, who thought an AIDS comedy could work at that time? Mm -hmm. and, but I will say this: it was very difficult. One difficult thing is I just couldn't go there with really passing away, dying. Of, you know, my character does pass away, but comes back. And you know, because I thank God I didn't have a death scene or something like that, because it was just be. It was, it was, you remember, it was so traumatic at that time. It was so, it was everywhere you looked. You know, you, every cast you were in, you, people would just drop. You well, know, yeah, Cats itself was like decimated. Yeah, it, it's so true. And uh, I, I just never forget, you know, it, it was, thank God for Paul, because he, he approached everything with humor. And he thought, you know, no matter what the, the uh, whether it's disease or or whatever, if the adversity, if you don't meet the adversity with with humor, you you lose. 
I was so happy. And then they took us, the original cast, out to L.A. And I got a call. Well, I was talking to Paul, and we you know, we were at Charlie's or something having dinner, and Paul was talking about the film happening. And he kept on saying, and then we're adding the part when Darius, you know, comes back, goes to the... Uh, to the nutcracker and passes out mm. and kind of reminded him of some of the lines, which was really fun, that were cut. And, and he kept on saying you about my character and my, Tom, my husband, said we got home and he goes, did you notice he kept on saying you and not Darius or the character? He was saying you, like, oh God, don't, don't even, you know, because I thought they were going to get some little wannabe, you know, some up and coming young man. Anyway, we all had to read and go back and audition and I was lucky enough to keep the role for, for the film. So tell us a little bit about who is Darius. Darius is, I think, what Paul said. He's, he's the heart of the piece. Darius is a true mm-hmm, person mm-hmm. who is just sees life and embraces life fully and loves his life as a gay man in New York. And he might be little, not have that much of an education, but he's street savvy and um, heart savvy. He, he, you know, he knows he knows what he, what's right and. And um, he he has this wonderful relationship w- with an older man, Sterling, who's a big designer. And um, he, he was he was a dream to play. I learned so much doing that, especially with comic geniuses like Harriet Harris and Edward Hibbert, um, because a lot of Paul's comedy is set up set up punchline. And to to do some of that without making it look like you know a stand up comic, you know. Uh, it was just a, a lesson every day watching these wonderful actors work and, and, and playing with them. And you, you had pretty much two big Sterlings you worked with. Edward was one of them. Mm-hmm. And then Sir Patrick Stewart was the other. What was it like cultivating relationships with, with both of these, these men? Um, they both brought so many wonderful things to the world. I mean, I think Edward rode a fine line between, you know, acerbic humor and bitchiness, and then warmth, you know. Patrick, now I, I was told this, I think Patrick, when he saw the play in LA and he was offered the role, someone told me this, I don't know if it's true, and he also said, well, I hope you're keeping the young man who played Darius, you know, so, which was, you know, when I heard that, we're like, oh God, he's, he's a lovely man. In fact, several years ago, I was doing my, my cabaret at Feinstein's and he came to see it. He was doing a play in New York and he came and actually was seated with, Tom's mother and father and some other friends and picked up the tab, which was so nice because that ain't cheap. Anyway, um, he's, he's just a dream of a man to work with. I'll never forget when the van was picking us up, up one day, this rattly, rattly van to go film. And Patrick had just seen the same producers were involved with the revival of Damn Yankees on Broadway. Mm. And we picked him up and I was in the car and he's like, Brian, have you seen Damn Yankees? It's a wonderful show. It's so go, going on and on. I'm like, he was like a kid that had seen a Broadway show for the first time. And like, you're so freaking Patrick Stewart. <laughs> and that, that enthusiasm and that love for what he does. I mean, he loves being an actor and it just comes across. And he, and he just, you know, he, he just, he was so giving. I will never forget how kind he, uh, kind he was. Now, Jeffrey deals with um, this whole community that's being decimated by this plague. Do you remember the first person that you encountered that you remember was either HIV positive or had AIDS? You know, there was, it was all, it was so just like, boom, all of a sudden there was this wall of, of you know, um, 
I remember the one that really, uh, the a dressing roommate that I shared the dressing room with Starlight Express, that made the most impact, Michael Scott Gregory, who was a really up and coming, he, was, he would have been a major, major choreographer, director. Uh, he was extremely talented. He was in uh, Sophisticated Ladies originally. He was like the youngest cast member in the original cast of that. He was also, he was in Starlight, but he was also in um, Jerome Robbins Broadway. And then he was in, well, he left Starlight to do Jerome Robbins Broadway. And he was, he was a tough roommate to have because he was that old school, you know, I got it, you know, I was getting ready. He goes, well, welcome to Broadway. Let's see if you stay. I was like, oh God, I'm here, you know. <laughs> And then finally, finally, the ice broke and, and we got along. But, um, you know, then he, I went back into Cats and he came in and then he was sick. He was going back and forth in and out of the hospital. And it was just, that was the first person that I really, really knew to pass of the disease. I knew people, you know, that worked with, but not someone on a day-to-day level. Mm-hmm. Thank God. I really, I, I thank God all the time that, you know, although the angel of death, you know, passed near me and around me and, and, but, it was never someone that I was in love with or extremely close to. I, I would, you know, uh, it would have, it would have decimated. It was, it was scary enough as it was. I don't know how I, I got by without, without that happening. But yeah, you know, so far we've lost so many now to 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 COVID. I've lost several mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Do you remember your initial reactions of when the script to Jeffrey actually came into your into your lap and you got to read it the first time? I remember like thinking this is hysterical, but I'm the worst. I'm so ADD, ADHD. It's like reading the script is, is impossible. It's so hard now because of the Adderall, it's great. But, um, you know, I thought, okay, this is funny. This is funny. And I remember my mom was up visiting and we, we went shopping and she wanted to go to the cafe at Saks Fifth Avenue and she was hearing my lines. And I had some line like, well, Jeffrey, I mean, come on, I'm HIV positive, but I'm still going to be gay. I'm going to go out to the clubs. I'm going to wear my leather jacket. My mom said, you got it right. That's great. But keep it down wearing sacks. <laughs> I knew something was special. I knew something was up. I knew you know, the same thing when I read Mad Men. I thought, something, there's something here. There's something different. And it, was, and it changed that. Like I said, the script changed so much. How so? Do you remember any any big things? Maybe even. Really- oh my God! There was a whole scene um, at the end in the ridge of the first time we did it. At the end, um, what's her name? Uh, Harriet was the uh, not Anne Marwood Bottle, but she was the self help guru. The mm, uh, Deborah. Yeah. Deborah. Deborah Morehouse. Her character came back to the hospital after Darius had died, and she, it was just and Mother Teresa was there. And I can't remember how it went, but she's like, don't you hate death? I mean, it's just it was this horrible thing. And then she touched Mother Teresa's gown. She goes, is this silk? It, it was, <laughs> and then somehow she got a pie in the face. I mean, there was a pie in the face. And all that went by the wayside because, you know, um, Paul and, 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 and Chris Ashley and, the, and Tina Ball, who's the uh, dramaturg, basically said, the audience is invested now. They are, they are in this love story. They believe the love story between Darius and Sterling and they're brokenhearted and they're rooting for Jeffrey to make the right choice and go on and live his life. And Robbie, you had a question before we went on the air we were talking about. So. This is true because you, uh, the first time you appear in the film, 23 minutes in, you are dressed in your Monkus Trap costume from Cats. That's an Alonzo costume. That's an Alonzo costume. That's an Alonzo costume with, I can't remember whose dog collar, whatever collar. 
but we kind of was it was kind of makeshift because mm-hmm. you know they wanted they, that was softer then at the end i'm convinced that you're in victoria's costume i was but there was no victoria my size so they had to build one <laughs> i mean could you imagine because i had to lift victoria at the beginning of cats yeah yeah there's no way no one's gonna lift me but um <laughs> so, or anyone in that size cause i mean it was it was a lot of white spandex. Yeah. I'm just obsessed <laughs> with the arc of your character going from Alonzo to uh, Victoria. That's that's some pitch perfect like Easter eggs. <laughs> we know originally when it was there was because it's not in the play in the movie. There's other voices that are in heaven. Um, it, I came out in a white first because before they built before they knew the show was going to go, they just rented a white tails. I came out in white tails and. I had this line, like I was taught, I said, you know, to hate AIDS, Jeffrey, not life. And and then I, you'd hear this orchestra tuning up and like, oh, I'm on. And then I'd, I'd go up. It was like it was my cue to go back on stage. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of sweet. It's just keeping the play, I think. But when when Paul really wanted, I think Paul actually paid for the, my white cat's costume to be made for the play off-Broadway. Mm. I think he actually had to play for it. Yeah, personally. Wow. What was it like being an out actor at that time you know i was i was out you know but i wasn't um it wasn't the topic i remember giving one interview for the film and they said uh, i remember it was for out magazine and i said you know i don't mind talking about it but i don't want it to be all about that you know because there's Mm -hmm. other things but I was prepared to talk to this guy and the young man who was the, um, the journalist showed it was, I was in Sunset Boulevard at the time at the Winter Garden, at the Minskoff Theater. Yep. He showed up early for the interview and was like very rude to the doorman who was the sweetest guy in the world because the doorman said, well, you can't go in the theater unless you're escorted by someone in the cast or you know, I can't let you in there just roaming around. You know, so he was like really let, got, you know, it was bitchy to him. So when I got there right in time for the interview, he was really in a bad mood, didn't want to go. And the first question I think he asked me was something like, okay, so who's gay in the cast? And I'm like, we've heard that so many times. It was really like, and I kind of like, you know, is that information that important? Or is, okay, we want to talk about the message. And he goes, well, you're gay. And I said, and I, by that point, I kind of had had it, you know? And I said, well, if people want to know about my life, they could call me up and ask me out on a date and find out, you know? <laughs> And then after that, I was just pretty much open in the, in the media about it. Yeah. He, I, I had one agent before him actually say, you know, I'm, an agent way back was like, look, and I get this. He was like, you, you, you've got to toughen up when you walk in the room. You got to lower your voice. You're going to be called in for these bad boy characters. You got to, you know, talk like this and you just be, you know, what they're casting now. And, and that's what you have to be. And I'm like, so I said, I have to act like more than I would on stage and on film. So he's like, yeah, because you have to be what you look like. Um, and it was a very, I, I, I see it because unfortunately some people don't have an imagination. You know, they can't, you know, this is my personality here. I'm not, but that doesn't mean I, I play this in every role. Right. You know? Because also I'm working on a, a piece that I wrote called Dear Mr. Williams about growing up in New Orleans and my story, but it's also told through the words of Tennessee Williams, and he's kind of like my oh. guy. Who knows? One day you might see it. But it, it's been so much fun doing research on that and learning these some some of these quotes, these lost 
words of Tennessee's yeah. are just genius. One mm-hmm. of my favorites, I'll share it with you now. Uh, let's see. You reach a point in your life when you look in the mirror and what you see is all you're ever gonna be. Now either you accept that or you kill yourself or you stop looking in mirrors. That's brilliant. Kind of sums it up, right? Yeah, huh. that's staggering. I want it on a sampler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, before we went on the air, we were talking a, a little bit about what this next question, which is gonna be, which is, do you think that Jeffrey in 2021 still holds up the same way that it did in you know 1992 1993 well you know i had the idea that after normal heart was revived um and i i thought well you know this there's these these themes and these messages are still important and we're a whole generation does not know about what we all went through um so i approached uh, the Frankel office and um, wonderful producers who are actually part of the original production of Jeffrey and um, my friend Michael Yuri, who had worked with uh, very briefly, but we became friends on uh, Ugly Betty. And I sent him the script and he texted me from London where he was doing buyer and selling because I love this. I've got to do it. So we, it all came through and we did this reading. Russell Toby was in it, uh, Robert Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Keenan, Keenan Bolger was played by my, 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 my Darius, and I played Sterling. That's what I wanted, because I'm now of the age to play Sterling. I thought it would be kind of fun. And uh, it really went over splendidly, fantastically. In fact, afterwards, some of the young people, tears, you know, the, the, the 40 or 45 and under, you know, a group, they were, they were in a mess at the end. And they said, we had no idea. I mean, we heard the AIDS pandemic, and now everything's fine. But no one is taught. No one knows what we went through. It's it's very interesting. Like we hold on to it. Mm-hmm. But I think, and what I love about Jeffrey is that it approaches this pandemic with humor. You know, there's yeah. very few and then love. And the message is find love at any cost. You know, so you have to wear a rubber, so you have to be safe. Right now it's like, so you have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but it's, you know, there's always, there's always gonna be an obstacle, but you have to. Embrace the obstacle and meet it with a joke, <laughs> a raised eyebrow. But you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, and unfortunately, I really was hoping it would go. But this is before Paul Settles was revived, before Boys in the Band, before all these other plays were revived. Um, the Angels in America, twice. You know. So you recently caught the film for the first time in twenty years. What? Yeah. What was that like for you as it washed over you? Amazon Prime is like, hey, movies you yeah. might be interested in. Yeah, um, it was bizarre. I, like I said, I recently had a knee replacement, so I'm up and down with pills and, and, and sleeping on the couch and all this stuff and having ice, and it's just been crazy. So I've watched so many things. So when this popped up, I was like, oh, God, you know, maybe I'll sit and watch this. And I did, and it really, at first I'm like, was I ever that young? It was like, boy, and I thought I was like, you know, I had to lose, I wanted to lose weight for the part, but there's no way. I mean, I'm such a healthy boy. It's like I lost, you know, 10 pounds and it's still, I still didn't look sick. You know, there was no, but I remember one day, I remember one day towards the end of the day of the filming at the the first, my first entrance at the, at the uh, Sterling's and our, our townhouse, I hadn't eaten anything. And I was, all I was eating, I was smoking cigarettes. I'm sorry, but I was at the time because I wasn't eating. And I was eating like maybe broccoli. And that's it, 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 cigarettes and broccoli. 
And I, I was getting, I almost passed, I passed out. I was really, and finally it was, um, it was Stephen Weber said, get this boy some video light, get, you know, something, we can't film until he, and Stephen, I've known Stephen for years. Um, he actually was married to a college friend of mine for a while. And to see him on set, it was, it was like reunion. And, and we keep in touch. I mean, in fact, we just were texting. When I saw that, I said, buddy, I can't believe it, but I'm watching it. And he goes, we were pioneers. You know, he's so funny. He's so funny. Brian, this has been an absolute pleasure. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you doing oh, this. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad. No, I had fun. Yay. Thank way. you. Oh, I love Brian Bass so much. So when did Jeffrey enter your life? I feel like it was on Showtime a lot. And it was what I wanted. It was New York, which, you know, it lived in California. And I think that really appealed to me. Just seeing all of these amazing, amazing, wonderful places. And I was, and once again, I think, I forget what we were talking, I think it was First Wives Club we were talking about this, where I knew these actors' names from magazines that dealt with theater, but I had never seen them. So that was another thing that gravitated me towards the movie was to see who is this Nathan Lane? Who is this Deborah mm -hmm. Monk? And, you know, as a young gay man, I think that was, it was one of the things that I was, you know, scared of about coming out, which was like you were saying, for a lot of us that were living in suburbia, the only thing we really knew about gay people were those are the people that get sick. And so, you know, the question is, is can you, have a happy life knowing that at any second that you might you might catch something because you dare to show intimacy to someone and that can really fuck you up mm -hmm. that can really fuck you up especially when you're not even beginning your journey you know For i think sure. i think what you see in, in jeffrey are people who started their journey and then this thing came along that stopped them but for some of us there was never even a, a second of getting to even have a day on the journey before right. we were told this was going to happen. So that's how it entered my orbit. And it's been, and when you suggested it uh, on our last session, it made me so, so happy, so happy because I think it's a movie that celebrates life. And, and I think that idea of celebration is something that should always stick with us. You it's know? very much like a movie uh, that I go to a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, uh, I rented it uh, the VHS from a blockbuster, right? Uh, and, you know, they have like massive walls of new releases and 25 copies of Titanic, double VHS, but like one Jeffrey. And you're like, what is this with these two guys? So I rented it uh, and fell instantly in love with it. I, I have to say in the intervening years, I think it's become a better film for me. I think at the time it was uh, beautiful and funny, very funny. Uh, but scary, and now it is not scary. It, but it definitely informed a lot of my life choices. In what ways? When I was coming out, my mom was very much like, "You're going to get AIDS and die. This, that's what happens." Uh, I want to prepare you for that. She wasn't. My mother was not mean or bad to me in any way. Um, she was concerned. I could have chosen a very different life of, okay, well, I will be alone and I will never know love or intimacy or anything like that. Or I can say, okay, maybe this will happen. I hope it doesn't, but uh, I'm okay if it does. I was always taken by the line that Darius says, and I feel like it's something that maybe is what made Jeffrey so universal. Um, because he, he talks to Jeffrey and he says, you know, uh, just think of AIDS as the guest that won't leave, the one we all hate. But you have yeah. to remember, hey, it's still our party. 
And I think you can swap AIDS out for so many different things. Anything. Anything Mm -hmm. that's tragic. I think we're saying it now. I think we were saying it for the past four years. Um, yeah. I think we can. I think we can take it to things that are in our own personal lives and say it. Uh, okay, so I do think we should briefly talk about Gregory Jabara at the Pride Parade, which started at that time in Central Park. Uh, Olympia Dukakis, who, like I said, is dressed as Grandma Yetta from The Nanny, is. Pl- Playing the mother of a pre-op transsexual lesbian. Angelique. Angelique, played by Gregory Jabara in a a really bad Bernadette Peters would-be wig. Uh, (laughs) It's like not even a shake and go. There are some like jokes in there that probably do not hold up. No, I I mean, so the, the main thing that's supposed to be happening in this is to be showing Jeffrey that even people that you would not assume to be uh, embracing this life are embracing mm-hmm. this life because the love, the love is so strong. The love that this mother has right. for her child is so mm-hmm. strong. And if she can do it, why can't Jeffrey do it? Right. So I get, I think I get that. However, <laughs> however, there there's some things that in, you know, 2021 they just feel a little uncomfortable uncomfortable so the question is is do you want to view it through that lens do you think that that scene like ruins the movie or do you think the scene no i don't think it ruins the movie in fact parts of that scene specifically olympia dukakis posing for photos is so funny and so honest but it becomes weird it specifically becomes weird when kevin nealon as the um newscaster Mm -hmm who's reporting live from the parade, they sort of jump into the scene, say, how are you celebrating? Well, we're going to march, and then Angelique's going to cut her penis off. Uh, what is Olympia Dukakis' character says? It's coming right off. Ah, uh, yes. And right. then I think they cut away, right? They cut, right. they cut away. And that's sort of eyebrow-raising now, but I don't think it is... It does not ruin the film i don't think the film's unwatchable because of it it's just that it's there and i felt that we should talk about it and in 2021 we, we go oh that's that's kind of weird i right. think if you can look at it with its original intention which mm-hmm. i think is also to show a mother who is so supportive of this child she's now celebrating this what she was so confused and and uh upset about you know a year earlier is now mm-hmm. something that she's embracing but i will say I at least appreciate that the person who says that line, and even though it's supposed to be a laugh line, from the context of the world they're in, it's a celebratory moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to like some cisgender as a joke that's yeah. like, she's going to cut her dick off. I, I at least understand where it's coming from. I, the movie stands, I think the movie holds up very well. I just felt we should discuss it. What? Let me ask you a question. If they had cast a trans actor mm-hmm. in the role of Angelique, and not, and first of all, Gregory Jabara is a fantastic actor. Yes. He's, a, he's a brilliant actor, Tony Award winner. Um, very sweet man, by the way. Mm-hmm. An incredibly sweet guy. Also featured in In-N-Out, right? He's the, I yeah. think, Kevin Klein's brother. Brother, in, in the out. clueless brother. The yeah, clueless yeah. brother. He's a brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, so this is not a knock on him. No. And I can't even imagine the number of actors who maybe who got offered the role and were like, I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole because my agent is telling me not to. You know, Gregory also did um, 
uh, uh, besides in and out, he was also in Victor Victoria, where I think mm-hmm. he played the 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 guy who starts to realize that he's gay, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that yeah? yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. both of these actors are incredibly queer friendly. Yeah. And like I said, I can imagine that, you know, as great as Greg is, I'm sure there were other actors who maybe even if was said, are you interested in this? They said, uh-uh, not for me. And he doesn't do it. I, I don't feel like he plays it pejorative manner. It's not, no, he's, he's definitely not, making not fun like of the character. talking down. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. I, again, I didn't find it to be crazily offensive to the point where I was like, I have to turn this off. Sure. Um, I just felt that uh, we in, in uh, the 2021 lens and era, uh, we, it was something that just needed to be discussed. Yes. And, it, and I will say yes, in 2021, it jolts you a bit. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it jolts you a bit. I had for, I truly forgotten about it until uh, it happened. And I was like, oh, right. Me, you know, me too. I remember so much of this movie. And I, can, I think I'm like, oh, I can. Me- I absolutely forgot that the both of them were in this film until she showed up in the yeah. scene. And I was like, oh, my God, what's Olympia Dukakis doing here? And then Greg <laughs> showed up. And I was like, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, I remember uh-huh. this. Right. But like I said, I think that overall, it's really about celebrating life. It's this woman who's who's saying mm-hmm. this is not this is not what I expected my life was going to be. But now that it is, I'm embracing it 110 percent because the yeah. scene right after that, Jeffrey and Steve go off to the gazebo and Jeffrey mm-hmm. starts to like make a move. And Steve's like, yeah, I'm seeing someone. Right. And so it's like it's too late for you, sir. And right. then and then you're right. Then it's the hospital scene, which is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Stewart plays that scene so brilliantly beautifully so brilliantly you Mm -hmm. you no spoiler alert folks because you've seen it you assume that you know uh darius is just in the hospital in the next room and he's just flipping through the magazine and he goes he won't be able to recognize you he's dead just matter of fact no histrionics just a really beautiful beautiful scene played brilliantly so congrats to mr stewart mr weber mr rudnick and mr ashley yeah what is your favorite scene in this film? Nathan Lane as the priest. Yeah. Nathan Lane and Stephen Weber as the priest is such a beautifully written scene. It is, it is hysterical it, and, it, and it moves you. And it has you laughing with tears of laughter. And then you start finding yourself wiping away tears because what he's saying life is resonates so deeply. So that's my favorite comic scene. My favorite like, more dramatic scene is the end. Yeah, it's the end where uh, they they pass the balloon back and forth to each oh, other. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just beautifully written. How about you, Brian Bat's monologue, mm. which is sort of the thesis of the entire piece, is so beautifully delivered um, with the just right amount of comic touches that I think that's a perfect scene. And also watching him walk away at the end of it is. Um, uh, a blessing on our head, mazel tov, mazel tov. <laughs> you, you now believe in the heavy side layer. So what is it then about this film in 2021? So things almost 30 years old now. That still makes it relevant, especially for generations, maybe Robbie, that are younger than us, if that's possible, um, that's younger <laughs> than us, that uh, 
this was never part of their world, thank God. Oh, I think that you're asking me why why is this yeah. relevant? Yes. Um, and why should people see this film? Yeah, because it could mm-hmm. be looked at as an antiquated period piece of a problem that, thank God, we don't have to deal with anymore. Well, I think that is part of it, actually, and why it should be seen is to remember. If we don't tell these stories, we lose these stories. It's relevant and should be watched because these stories need to be told. So that was Jeffrey. I loved revisiting it. Me too. I'm so happy you recommended it. Thank you for doing that. Please. Well, you have a recommendation for next week. I do. You know, I do. Uh, I have always heard about this person. And this is a person that I know meant a lot to people of a few generations uh, ahead of us, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in the gay community. And it's someone who did not leave a lot of cinematic work behind, but every single gay person, I think over the age of 60 can do an impression of this person. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up to you and you said, I don't know anything about her either. I so truly have a blind spot. So I think you and I are going to fix our blind spot and we're going to learn from someone older than us. We're going to learn from our mentor. And the person that we're going to look at is the groundbreaking revolutionary Tallulah Bankhead. <sighs> The great Tallulah Bankhead. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at G-Revoked, G-Revoked. If you don't like what we're doing, go on over to The Daily and give us a one-star review. Yeah, tell them you saw cats. All right, so that was it, folks. We hope you enjoyed Jeffrey once again streaming on Amazon Prime. We thank Brian Batt for joining us today. And your research for next time is the great Tallulah Bankhead. Charles Pierce, you know, once said, you know, uh, uh, Tallulah, Tallulah, Tallulah. Your mother named you Tallulah because she could not spell. (laughs) 